to the How Could You Podcast. I'm Lauren Tossie. And I'm Ryan Tossie. And I'm yet another week without a blood oath. <laughs> I hope you have like an incident without blood oaths, like bored somewhere in the podcast studio by the end of the you week. You asked me to give, <laughs> keep letting you know when I do, so. <laughs> well, welcome. And there was no takers on Instagram. <laughs> That's because I didn't put that post out because I was really worried. We put some hashtags on and sometimes we cast a wide net and I did not want to catch any fishies that wanted to do a blood oath That's with you. That's a very fair. <laughs> well, welcome to our podcast. If you're checking us out for the first time or the thousandth time, thank you so much for tuning in. We are two people who fell in love at a movie theater and never quite left. We started this podcast because as two devout movie nerds, we had some serious film gaps that we needed to fill. Um, and we've expanded it to have conversations about our favorite films, films that make us nostalgic, things we want to debate. And as of late, uh, we've been happy to have the opportunity to interview some really cool people for the podcast. And today is absolutely no exception. I am so giddy for this conversation and for you guys to hear from Dash Daring, also known as Chuck Francisco from the Colonial Theater. Ryan, how are you feeling after our conversation with Chuck? He gave us his tossy takes, or in this case, dash takes, and I instantly wanted to be his best friend <laughs> because he gave two obscure yet perfect films that are two of uh, I just love. So I was like, yes, let's keep talking. <laughs> you know, it's it's like such a special thing to get to connect with people through the podcast in this way. We've been going to the Colonial Theater for years. We've seen Dash like do his thing as a performer um, to get to have this conversation. He has a true passion and love for film that as two people who started a podcast just to be able to talk about movies and document it, that conversation in some way. I mean, honestly, I'm truly inspired by how he talks about film, his approach, his love for it, his discussions about fandom, the passion he has for the colonial. It's a really fun conversation. We, I mean, I, we can talk about the fact that, like, we ended this conversation with him and kept talking for another hour. Yes. Like, I, and I think we were both so appreciative. You'll hear on the episode, I mean, he is so immensely busy. And yes. to take the time to spend with us, we were both so grateful for, you know, the one thing I feel bad about is that this episode's coming out mid-month because there were just so many things going on that he talks about that he's doing. But the great thing is they're doing it all year. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, it was it was an awesome conversation. Yeah, and we'll be tagging the Colonial and um, Chuck Francisco's Instagram and everything so that way you can keep up to date with what they're doing at the Colonial Theater. Incredible programming. We are so grateful to have had him on the show. We are so excited for you to hear this conversation. So here we go. Well, welcome to the How Could You podcast. We are so excited to have you as a guest on our show. Can you please do us a favor and introduce yourself to our very excited audience? Absolutely delighted to. Uh, this is Chuck Francisco, uh, also known as Dash Daring. I'm a uh, well, I'm a film host at the Colonial Theater for a lot of our genre programming, and I'm also one of the personalities slash hosts that's a part of Blobfest. That's the Dash Daring part of things. Excellent. Thank you so much. So um, our, our audience has uh, heard us gush quite a lot about Blobfest, which I'm sure we are going to talk at length about because it's such an incredible event. Uh, but we always like to start the our, every one of our podcast episodes with something we call uh, Tassi's Takes where we recommend something that we have been watching or, or listening to that we want to recommend to the audience. So I know we're putting you on the spot, but do you have a Chuck's take, something you'd like to recommend to the audience? I'll give you two. Um, one of them is completely not seasonal, which is why I'm going to give you two. Um, <laughs> the first is Pontypool, the fantastic Canadian uh, winter horror movie that does not have a Blu-ray release. Please, somebody like Vinegar Syndrome, give me a deluxe release of this film. Right. 
Uh, and the others, the seasonal. So I, I built this year. Um, last year, I felt like I missed um, too many of my Halloween favorites throughout the season. It's so busy. Uh, this year, I built a Halloween film matrix to try to not miss as many of them. Um, and this one's not till later in the month because it's my it's my night before carving movie. Not that I don't carve all month long. But um, when I'm carving pumpkins, I just delight watching uh, the WNUF Halloween special because it basically mimics a TV broadcast from the 80s when I was a kid. <laughs> Sorry, we're both beating out right away. <laughs> I was supposed to say, the audience can't see the fact that we both like jumped back in our seats with excitement. Oh my gosh, yeah. Those, uh, both excellent. And, you know, the, the, the special one... What they did with that is so – I just – their commitment to, you know, I hate even calling it the gimmick is just what makes the entire film. Like, you, I mean, you're you're right, right? It is – they're sticking to those guns. But is it a gimmick if it if they really just blow it out off the top? Like, it's so good. Is it really a gimmick at that point? <laughs> right, yeah. Like, I genuinely feel like if you were to drop that into somebody's lab who didn't know that it was, you know, create it, like, would have thought that it was genuinely <laughs> recorded and, and real from it. It's just so good. <laughs> and Pontypool is another just, yeah, underappreciated film. <laughs> Absolutely. How about you guys? Uh, do you have a Tossie Stakes this week? Oh, my gosh. Um Talk to me, uh, yeah. which with we just uh, recently um, saw in at the drive-in, and I was blown away by how good that was. Um, so that was that's my big one right now that I would give as my Tossie's take. Uh, mine right now is uh, Ahsoka. Like I'm a massive Star Wars fan, so like, and I am I am loving every bit of it. I know not everyone extends out into the TV shows or you know the other like aspects of the Star Wars universe, but I'm like. Every episode, I'm, I, I just like I'm like that was the greatest. I love everything that we're watching. <laughs> I also have to say I appreciate the fact that you started with Pony Pool and then said that wasn't your seasonal. <laughs> I, I listen, everything changes when the yeah. weather uh, changes for me. Uh, the cereal I eat changes. the The way that I shop for food changes. Everything changes. God. <laughs> Well, you know, and I love that, like, those habits, because there's something that it feels special. Like, it's fresh, it's new, my films have changed, my food has changed, everything, the cocktails I'm making change, like, because it's, I'm responding to the outside, and it makes everything feel a little bit more special. Absolutely. We love a theme here. So you introduced yourself um, also as your persona character of Dash Daring. So we wanted to know, how did you create um, this incredible character, um, which we have we have gotten to see and we super enjoy? So can you tell our audience a little bit about it and also how you created this idea? Uh, sure. Um, I, I really wish that we had like a nerdy super fan who had like created and maintained a Wikipedia so that I would know like... <laughs> Because, um, okay, so let me backtrack. So I've been involved in BlobFest and, and like uh, working on it or planning it or running it or writing it or different parts of it for, gosh, at least 13 years now. It's it's really hard. They all blend together. <laughs> um, so initially, I wasn't one of the stage personalities. Mr. Lobo was our host, Cinema Insomnia, great guy. And we had other other like components. Um, we had Gula Gogo when they were still a big thing. Their TV show is fantastic, and you can still find it everywhere. 
Um, and we had uh, Dr. Frankenstone, who was our sort of in-house uh, person. Um, he's since retired, although he still comes to the event, which is just great because I love <laughs> I love Shane. Um, and uh, so I was, um, I think it was like 2012 or 2011, I was asked to host the costume contest outside. Um, I was already uh, hosting movies at the theater, and it was clear I could talk for a long time if they needed me to um and some of the earlier blob fests don't run as smoothly as the modern blob fest so some like one of the blob fests i was on stage and they were taking forever to count the tallies and i'd already run all the costume contestants twice to get applauded and joel <laughs> hodgson from mystery science theater was one of our judges and i ran out of i didn't plan material i ran out of I clearly was, I was paneling and I ran out and finally Joel got up and saved my bacon by, by like having the audience sing while we were waiting. But, um, so after the first year I was just wearing what I normally would like wear around the theater, like stuff with pockets. Cause I needed a flashlight and like, you know, notes and like script and all that stuff. I wasn't like dressed in a costume and I wasn't a character yet. Um, so I did the costume contest and Mr. Lobo was like, guy, you gotta, you gotta have a shtick, a character. You can't just get up on stage at Blobfest and just be Chuck. You have to be something for Blobfest. So the following year, um, I was part of the evening Friday night stage show. The For those that don't know, we reenact the run out sequence from the, the Blob, which you've, everyone in the world has seen. Um, but we do a variety, sort of a vaudeville stage show beforehand. Band on stage, dancing performers, joke, like old Borscht Belt joke type humor. Um, I'm really dating myself by saying that out loud. Um, <laughs> we picked up on all of it. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Um, so uh, what we did was we filmed segments ahead of time where my character, Dash Daring, was an on-the-scene intrepid Blobfest reporter reporting from wherever the blob might have hinted to be to tell the people in the audience they were safe. The blob was somewhere afield, not in the theater, so they wouldn't have to run out. And like as the show would go on, Mr. Lobo would toss back to me and I would report from somewhere else. And finally, the last time it would be that the blob is actually in the theater and everybody needs to run. Um, so I did this for a, a bunch of years um, where it was like, I think we did that right up until the pandemic where like I would be a, a remote somewhere and then he would throw to me and we would run out. Um, when the pandemic happened, I became, I was the host, um, predominantly because for 2020, we recorded all the, almost, almost every segment was me in my basement because we, nobody was vaccinated and we weren't, you know, um, the handful of segments we filmed together was the most like alien thing I could possibly describe to you. Cause we, these are all, we're all really good friends. We like walking into a, like the, the giant colonial theater and having to sit eight rows away from people while you wait to film your segment, take your mask off, film your segment, put your mask back on. Like it was really weird that it, that it came off as well as it did. And that we won a Rondo award for it. Like, I don't like half the segments are my basement. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so dash daring became, I had like Mr. Lobo's like, you needed an outfit. You need like a look. And, Super luckily for me, Guillermo del Toro was like, hey, I'm going to release this giant robots punching monsters movie called Pacific Rim, which I went and saw on like a Saturday matinee. And it like I felt like I was 10 for two hours. I was 10 years old and it was amazing. Um, but one of the characters was Tendo. He was the the handler guy, the computer guy. And he had a pompadour, which I had. And he had um, suspenders and a button up shirt and a bow tie. Now I've given everything away the secret, but I'm just basically a palette swap of that guy. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's an incredible, honestly, like I'm, I'm so glad to hear like the construction behind it. So our first introduction to it was, so we, uh, we felt very grateful to have the Halloween at home programming marathon that you did. That was our first introduction to your character of Dash Daring. We made themed cocktails at home. We got themed snacks and you kept us like very entertained. And although for a lot of reasons and from coming to the Colonial and and participating in Blobfest this year, you know, and obviously, you know, your love of film are many reasons why we wanted to have you on the show. But I think honestly, at the top of the list was to thank you for that Halloween programming because- at a time when we were missing that connection over film and being entertained, you gave us something to feel like an event at home. So we really appreciate your efforts and everyone's efforts at the Colonial to do that for all of us. You didn't tell me I was going to need a tissue for this episode. <laughs> um, thank, thank you both. Um, <laughs> I, uh, you know, when people don't. People have. I've said this, but people haven't really believed me. We, um, we, we appreciate that so much. We, we did it as we, we needed to do it as much for us as we knew people would need it. And, and we know, like some of the movies, like it was public domain movies because of the nature of most of it. Um, we know that those aren't the best movies most of the time. Although you know, House on Haunted Hill and Night of Living Dead are great. Um, I think you but, had, you introduced us to I think it was the Bat that year, which yeah. <laughs> I've never seen before. Which was and oh, uh, the Francis Ford Coppola film. Um, uh, d- 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 uh, oh, it's escaping me. Um, it's a mental disorder. Um, d- uh, it begins with a D. Um, yeah. Oh. Um... <laughs> something 13 dementia 13 dementia 13 thank yes. you like it's really weird that i like having trouble remembering dementia that's just yeah, that's <laughs> wow <laughs> but, but i mean but yeah i mean what you guys program like you said like lesser known and and you know when you know, whatever it is compared to today's big budget but just great movies and that was the thing like i love seeing these like just you know films that i had never seen before with these just amazing actors or amazing directors like it, the way you guys curate it was was fantastic we um, um i particularly have super fond memories of the the christmas the krampus krypton spectacular that first one um where we're in the, the- we're in the bedberry theater and uh our friend kind of shows up as diehard santa um i really particularly we had the krampus puppet from ben stansberry ben stansberry is a phenomenal puppeteer and puppet maker so this krampus that krampus puppet and his two um uh freaking frack the uh the helpers those were all ben that's uh, cool yeah, you guys all complement each other so well, like, you know, just playing to each other's strength to just, yeah, I mean, it, that, like she said, you know, and, and Lauren will will put it together and put it to words much better than I will, oh, but, yeah. like, agreed. Like, it was something really special that night and that connectivity of, like, you know, you had the chat going on and everybody oh. kind of just talking through it, like, and it was just, it felt like we were all in the same room together, um, you know, almost to the point where it was like, I love, you know, being together, but it was like, even the next year, I was like, oh, almost like, <laughs> wish we did that again. They did that all for that again. I do. I wish we had the capacity to run both the in-person event and also the online event, because we have gotten lots of folks who attended for the first time. They're from different parts of the world, uh, England and China and Hawaii and like, like all over. And, and they're like, we would love, we just can't fly to Phoenixville. You know, can you have the virtual event? And 
um, I just, I'm just not sure it's in the cards. Like it takes, it's such an incredibly large undertaking. Right. <laughs> you need to just all your time. And <laughs> just forego sleep for the next year. I mean, listen, <laughs> we saw you guys during the Blobfest weekend. I, it doesn't seem like you ever sleep. So, <laughs> or stop. Well, I'll tell you, uh, to give you a, a comparison, like, like an understanding of this, uh, Blobfest is phenomenal, but it takes me days to recover. Um, and I am ex- as extreme of an extrovert. Like, this isn't a put on you're getting. This is, I am very extroverted. Um, and uh, even with that, after Blobfest, I'm I'm on so much for everybody in every capacity um, that I, it takes me a couple of days to recover. So when I see people um, who are mad about some celebrity who just like trying to go about their business in New York City and getting hounded by people and just isn't having it, I totally I understand that to a degree. And I'm kind of like, just just leave them alone. Like you would hate this if they did this to you. Right. Um, the horrorthon is a great example. Um, the uh, the Exum Films Horathon, which we have at the theater now, um, that started when I was 29 years old. And it was a super fun thing. I was like, I am going to stay awake this whole time because I can, because I'm the show that I can do it. And I did for like three or four years and several times, like, for, like noon on Saturday into noon on Sunday. By the time you get to sleep at like six that night, uh, the next night, it's you've been up for 30 something hours. I used to get up the next Monday, the following day and go to work and be fine. Yeah. <laughs> now I will tell you, I stay up the whole time because I work our merchandise booth in between all the movies. Gotcha. And uh, this past year, I was I, I took off from work on purpose, like for three days afterwards. For the first two, for Monday and Tuesday, I was a hundred percent useless. My brain did nothing. It didn't work. <laughs> I could have fallen down the steps, and my brain would have been like, "Pain's coming. Just wait." <laughs> we're too tired to send those receptors out exactly. we've got a 24-hour holding period on a natural biological function it could hit you at any point it's a surprise game here it comes yeah. do you mind uh kind of telling our audience a little bit about the 24-hour uh, horror marathon Sure. Well, first of all, it's almost sold out. So if, if at any oh. point while you're listening, you're like, that sounds great, go get a ticket because there's like 25 tickets. Left. Oh, okay. <laughs> so the uh, the Exhumed Films horror, uh, 24-hour horrorathon, Exhumed Films is um, probably the reason that the Philadelphia metropolitan area has the, one of the most powerful and knowledgeable horror scenes in the entire country. Um, I'm telling you that Joe Bob Briggs, when I was bringing him to the theater, told me that we are on par with LA and New York with our knowledge of films from what he's observed. And that's because uh, in 1997, four guys got together and they were like, no one, I can't see these movies anywhere. They weren't being released. Like, you know, things like zombie. Um, you can just, you can just fall down and there's eight copies on YouTube now. But back then it was like, you, you might know somebody and get a sixth generation VHS dub from them. And the Exhumed Films guys said, why don't we find film prints and put on films? And they started that way back in 1997. Um, uh, 15 years ago, they started doing a 24-hour marathon where the projectors go from noon to noon and they never stop. If you need to pee in between movies, you're missing trailers that they've curated. Um, They don't tell you what any of the movies are. So until it starts and the the title card comes up, you have no idea what you're watching, Um, which is both good and bad. It could be like, you're like, all right, cool. This was Hong Kong movie at 4 a.m. And I can't keep my eyeballs open. I hope I brought eye drops to, to dry my eyes for these subtitles. Um, 
or like wacky Mexican children's movies that are just so faded pink. It's, it's the gap. Um, and, and it's an incredible experience because, uh, people are committed. Um, the people that bring beer or drink beer, the whole, like, cause we sell alcohol, the people that drink alcohol, go out to the restaurants. Like I have no idea how they stay awake. None at all. <laughs> no, I feel like I would need every bit of my faculties to will myself to stay awake. And even, the, even if I chose a movie to be like, well, okay, maybe I'll take a little snoozy during, I, I would still need like as much as possible ready to go. It's, it's tough. I'm happy that they're here at, our, at the Colonial One because I, it's like chocolate and peanut butter for me. It's my favorite place to watch movies with my I, my favorite people to put movies on. Like it's smash that together. Um, working the merchandise booth between movies helps because I get up, I'm standing, I'm talking to people. I'm like make counting money. So right. like your, your brain kicks back on. <laughs> um, but last year I decided to do an experiment. And what I did was on Instagram, I, uh, every single movie I came out and I said, okay, it's so it's this time in the morning, we just watched movie number eight. And it was this film. I had a good time. And like, go back in so like 10 seconds at a go at the beginning it's like sunny there's sun coming in from the, the 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 new balcony by the concession stand my hair looks perfect i look bright and happy and chipper and i'm like all right the movies are about to start i'm gonna go in and by the end like every as we're going along hair's coming out and falling down <laughs> bags are growing under my eyes and i will i the, my favorite one is is um like 4 30 in the morning before the sun came back up I hustled out of the theater and I'm underneath the staircase to record my video. And I'm like, uh, the credits are still rolling. I can hear them. And I sit, I'm recording and go, all right, so that was movie number 10. And it was uh, uh, movie number 10. We just, it's still, the credits are going. It's um, movie was, um, oh my God, we just finished watching it. What was it? And I heard somebody else go, it was so-and-so. And I went, oh, okay. And I said it. <laughs> it was like insane. Your brain just stops working. And um, if, you, if you're if you at like the second half and you start thinking about movies you watched the first half, your brain hasn't processed them yet. You, you're, the time between isn't the same. And you start, it feels like it was a week ago, but it's only been 12 hours. <laughs> I feel like, do you at some point just start even like melding the movies together where you're like, totally 100%. It sounds like a really condensed, like, sped up version of the experience of how it probably felt to be in the Blair Witch Project. Like, you're just seeing the deterioration. (laughs) It's like in real time, you're like, oh man, it it sounds like, and this is the crazy thing. Like, even as you say it, like, it sounds exhausting, but it also sounds like the most fun because it is so passionate. It's it's great, and if you if you're like I can't do 24 hours, that's insane, and I would never be able to handle that. In in spring, in May, we do the um, usually May or June, we do their Exume Films uh, X Fest, which is 12 hours, and it's all exploitation films from a wide array of subgenres. So it's like so it's like that. I was going to say easing into the process, but I don't think exploitation films are easing into anything. <laughs> Wait, easing right. into the time. <laughs> right. What's well, It's a marathon versus a sprint of being hit in the face with bad taste. <laughs> and you guys, I mean, and it's funny because you say that because you, I mean, I know it's not, I don't think the other ones are put on by the Exhum film, but you have another horror marathon a couple weeks prior, correct? At the Colonial, Am I- we do we do a bunch. So, yeah. um, uh, Exhum Films comes in a couple times a year, and they do big shows, and we yeah. love them. Uh, but we have our own standing programming. So, uh, our first it used to be first Friday Fright Night. It was always on first Fridays. Um, that started in two thousand and eight, and actually Bob Trait, who's the programming director there now, he started that that uh, series. 
Um, I think I, I missed the first two or three and I started coming um, when he had, I think it was Evil Dead in like 2000, end of 2008, 2009. Um, so we do, um, we have a, a monthly horror series, one just one movie, usually like around 9.45 at night. We have a monthly cult film series, um, sort of a catch-all, um, which evolved from, we used to show Mystery Science Theater 3000 episodes, back before there was even the thought of a revival. Like we would, I would just, I just hosted episodes and we did invention exchanges on stage beforehand um, and, and, you know, fun stuff like that. Uh, so we've got a, a cult series and horror series every month. We've got crowd pleasers, which are your more mainstream stuff that normies would know. Not, um, <laughs> uh, and we do have the um, all-night Italian splatter fest. Um, that's probably what you're thinking of, the splatter fest. Yes, yes. And I, you guys do – I know uh, you guys do the Super Bowl one, right, as well? Yes, Horror Bowl. Um, yeah. that one, I love that because I don't really care about football. Yeah. And, and, and it's always horror fans who are like, thank you for doing this. I don't care about football. I just want to hang out with people. <laughs> like I want a reason to gather but just not around sports. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> No, it's a it's a per. I mean, the way you guys present it and the way that it's it's you know put out there, it, it's a it's a perfect you know option outside of the game. So I think it's just great. And I think it was either you know I, I know I've looked at it and I'm like I do enjoy the football game. So I'm always like um, oh, but I really wish I could have went to that. <laughs> but it, it's I, I don't want to I don't want to make anybody uh, anybody who likes football in the Philadelphia area dislike me. I just am apathetic. I don't care. Oh about yeah, absolutely. But because of Horror Bowl being a thing now, my brain is always like I just want the Eagles to get knocked out before the Super Bowl so that it doesn't hurt our attendance. Oh, because there are some people who were like, I don't care if the Eagles aren't in it, and I'll come to see the horror movies. Yeah. But if the Eagles are in it, it they they won't come. <laughs> yeah. I do have to say, um, you know, for us, you talking about the the first Friday, um, that's actually was our introduction to the Colonial Theater. Um, so we live about an hour and a half uh, north of, of the Colonial. Um, and so the first time we ever got introduced to the theater was we came down to see Monster Squad with some with our friends. Um, and it was just like. Just like as soon as you walk into that theater, just the experience that gets put on and then, you know, seeing these great films. And so I just I know it was such a, you know, we ended up getting a poster that night and just like fell in love with the theater and the experience that was put on immediately. Was that the um, the 20, 2010 show? Yeah, I would think it's so. A- so yeah. You've got the you've got the Tom Whalen poster, right? Yes, the, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah, um, I have all of those except I lost the one for House of a Thousand Corpses. He did, which is like the best one. <laughs> oh, no, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's um, the, the 2010 shows. They uh, they all had Tom Whalen. He did all the posters that year. Um, they're fantastic. Yeah, yeah his stuff so good. <laughs> yeah, it's really beautiful. And I also like I love that that's a part of going to the Colonials, like you guys really have a handle on how to like eventize things like, you know, the, the, a poster and merchandise, like, you know, as, as film fans, it's like sometimes hard to communicate like, well, yeah, you love movies, but you want to also like share in those experiences. Just like someone gets a concert poster um, or, you know, for our football fans, like you wear the Jersey of your team. Right. It's like, this, this is how I express this is by showing, you know, showing like I went to this event and I have this poster from it and it helps me to like, remember it in that fun way. So I think it's like a very cool thing that you guys have made part of the experience so uh, i like to uh, i thought of I, I sort of came to a different perspective i showed the two of you the, the my sort of a 360 of the room i'm in with all the colonial posters up before we started talking um but 
So uh, I, I look at this in a different way. So I really deep dived on Vincent Price as a Renaissance man after I met his daughter last year at the Colonial and she spoke and I read her book and about the, her life growing up with him. And I, I had loved him as a horror icon. Thriller is probably the first real horror thing I saw as a kid too young to see a thing because at the time MTV played it every hour. Every hour that they were on the air. So a yeah. like quarter of every hour was a horror movie directed by John Landis with, um, with um, um, I wanted to say Rick Baker, but it's not Rick Baker, is it? It's, um, um, where is it Rick Baker? This uh, zombie and werewolf special effects and... Um, I'm sorry, it's, yeah, it's escaping me because I actually, I forget, because I didn't know it was, it, it's, yeah, oh, it's bothering me now. Yeah. It, <laughs> okay. It's, it's a horror. Like all three of us stalled at the same yes. time. So my, like I started to think about, like I have all these posters put up and not only are they actual artwork by working artists, but they're all memories. Like I can look over there and see uh, the poster from the last time we did Fright Night and Louie from Geek Boy Press did the poster. Right next to it is my poster from when that time we did Drunken Master 2 and uh, Johnny Destructo did the poster. Um, and I remember these nights. I remember hanging out with these people and uh, some of the times being the first time I saw these movies on 35 or some of them like with the, with the upcoming um, Nightmare on Bridge Street movies that I saw when they first came out in theaters and haven't been able to see since because no one usually shows Jason X. <laughs> <laughs> they should though <laughs> they should like listen it's a campy movie but it knows exactly what yes. it's doing 100 <laughs> percent. and actually nightmare on bridge street was the one i was actually thinking of earlier because um, yep. you guys were doing uh jason x and freddy versus jason Freddy versus jason <laughs> yep oh my gosh which uh, i was a college student and got carded going into that three separate times when i bought the ticket when they tore the ticket and by the kid who was 15 outside the theater door <laughs> you're like guys are you trying to tell me something about this film <laughs> he was really worried i was going to get the wrong idea 15 years into watching horror movies right. so you are you, uh, you you have shown your cards you are a fan of horror clear clearly um you know do you have um like a, a favorite like i know it is so hard to pick favorites these are impossible questions but i'm going to ask them anyways do you have a favorite horror film um, I guess, so not any, not anymore in the sense that I, I, especially over, over, over once COVID happened, I, I watched so many movies. I, I think, um, I, I watched, uh, 560 movies in 2020. Um, thanks letterbox for <laughs> how much of a loser I am, but there we have it. Um, for the longest time, um, and for, for a good decade, evil dead two was my, was my favorite. It was my, my, it wasn't my gateway because I had already seen so many horror movies, but it was the turning point where I was like, I'm going to start seeking out the craziest movies I can find. Yeah. Um, and I love that film. I watched it into the ground. And the best part about, for me, like there's so many good parts about seeing them in like the Colonial. But when we did a Nightmare on Bridge Street last year and we showed um, Evil Dead 2 and uh, paired it with uh, Cabin in the Woods, mm -hmm. um, uh, I brought my friend Zach to see the movies and he had never seen um, Evil Dead 2. 
Like he's, he's new to most of these movies. <laughs> so he, I sat right next to him while he watched Evil Dead 2. And it was like I was showing it to high school friends for the first time again. It was amazing. Every time I was just like, it was like old hat where Ash like grabs himself through the mirror or is like laughing along with the the, the, the deer head or, or cuts his own hand off and then it flips him off. Like all these things I've seen hundreds of times, but he didn't. And so uh, his his reactions were worth everything it was the best it's like seeing it through like new eyes again like that's a, such a great experience <laughs> that's so good um every time we show burial ground the italian horror film um i actually i get up during the the, the several really uh, awful scenes that upset the crowd and i sit on the steps up to the stage to watch the audience's reaction <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> I love that. Seeing it for the first time, they can take that as the marker of like something weird is about to happen. That dude's watching our reaction. <laughs> and see, I love that that story alone. It actually made me very nostalgic because we we actually met at a movie theater, um, and that's how. And I remember a few times where we, you know, working at a movie theater, you have this bond with the people that you're working with. It's just this this great experience. And I remember a bunch of times where we would have a movie that have a scene kind of like you're talking about, like, you know, like the end of Saul or something like that that was out. And it was like you snuck into the theater just to watch the crowd like and we would do it like we would have it time to know exactly when we all needed to meet and kind of sneak in and watch it. And the fact that you get to to have that experience <laughs> is just I love it. Absolutely love it. It's um, which movie theater did you meet at? We met at uh, the Kermike 16 in Allentown, which is yeah. now an AMC. Um, so uh, we, I, I worked in box office, and he was the concession manager, and that's how we met. Oh, that's awesome! <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Um, you no, know, I'm, I'm with you 100. percent I, I love crowd reactions, like because they're naked most of the time. They're raw. Um, we got cocaine bear a day early for like a pro premiere like like early night screening and it wasn't really that packed which is a shame for anyone shame on anyone that was like i'm too good for this because somebody showed up to the movie in a bear suit covered in powder and they'd never even seen the movie which is the best um but so this woman this this this, this family came it was like um two teenage either college or just end of high school kids um the mom the dad a couple friends and it was our group their group and like a couple people in the balcony it's like like 25 people so if you haven't seen cocaine bear most of it's kind of funny a lot of it's kind of a crime film but there's right. one <laughs> sequence that just the rails come off and it's amazing yes. i won't spoil what it is but this woman started screaming and screamed for three minutes Every time it ramped up, it ramped up in like, like, like how crazy it got. She yeah. screamed louder, like it just kept going up the register, and and so halfway through her screaming, we all just started laughing. <laughs> it was amazing, and it wasn't like we were shaming her or embarrassed. Right. It was just like this was like a communal experience, and the emotions that were just happening back and forth were just natural reactions. Well, because that's what makes it so special when you're watching something, whether it's the first time or the 50th time with like a, with an audience around you is because you get to enjoy it differently or it feels it feels amplified. Like everything about the experience feels so much more kinetic when there are people around you. We actually it's so uh, the uh, blob fast this year. We talked about this because we were in the theater watching Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. I love that movie so much. <laughs> Same. And we were like, well, I mean, it, we had we, never seen it before. Yeah, so yeah. that was, yeah. That's the most amazing way to see that movie. <laughs> 
seriously, Chuck, like this was such an incredible experience. And we both were like, this is, this is like, first off going into a time machine. This must be how people reacted to it when it was first out. And it was, people were guffawing with laughter. Like it was, you could feel it in the seats, how funny people found this. And I'm like, this is the greatest experience. I mean, everything about that weekend was so incredible, but like, we're like, this is so special to be able to experience this for us for the first time with people who are just uproariously laughing. It was such a special moment. That's I'm so happy for you both. That is, first of all, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, uh, meet Frankenstein is perhaps one of the greatest constructed comedy films of all time. And just like you're saying, it is absolutely timeless. You have people of five generations sitting in a movie theater, sold out, all laughing, like every joke was written for them in a modern context. (laughs) Incredible. Um, There there are a couple movies a year that we do where that's the case. Um, Every time we show Casablanca, which I consider one of the greatest films ever made, just full stop, everything about that film um, shouldn't have worked and works um, from the allegory of Rick as America, who's burned after the depression and doesn't want to get involved and burned again, having to come around to help to just um, all the expats who were the actors in the bar who were crying during the Marseille, like, oh. like the, the French national anthem. They're really crying. These are people who really had fled the Nazis. They weren't just actors. They were actors who fled Europe. So, um, Everything about that movie, incredible. Um, when we show it and people gasp at the ending, they gasp. It's That's a pop culture moment that everybody sort of knows through osmosis for almost 100 years, for 80 years now. But they gasp because it's so – it hits them right in the heart in a way that's unavoidable. Um, a Christmas Story is one of those modern ones that works that way. Uh, it's just so many, so many movies are – an experience when you have them with people. Um, I know lots of people are like, I have a big television in Dolby. I don't need the movie theater. And I think those people fundamentally don't understand that community's part of that experience. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you were saying this and I was thinking of, uh, we would up, unfortunately not since COVID occurred, but before that for probably about 10 years, we would come down for, um, it's a wonderful life uh, every yeah. year for that same, for that experience that you're talking about. What you're talking about with Casablanca, I know we've experienced uh, uh, with, with it's a wonderful life there. Well, mm-hmm. honestly, like that's anyway, it, it, it never ceases to fail. Like the second he says, Merry Christmas movie house. Like I am a weeping man. <laughs> no, actually it's earlier now. It used to just be then. Now it starts like the second he says, I want to live. I'm it's like, the whole third act, right? But like, that's, you're right. It's like so, gathering around those films, like that you've seen many a times that are, they're classics for a reason. Like Casablanca mm-hmm. still hits because the construction of the story and what's happening and the emotional resonance of it still feels incredibly powerful. It, and Christmas Story is one of his all-time favorites. Like, and, and I think it's it's <laughs> so special to like, to gather around and like, and, you know, and yes, like, it's great if you have, like, the ability at home to have, like, a nice setup. But at the same time, there's no- nothing will ever beat hearing someone laugh at a part that you're like, oh, yeah, that is funny. And maybe I laugh a little louder because I'm with people <laughs> and all of a sudden I'm feeling it a little bit more because I'm surrounded by other people who are enjoying it. There's nothing beats um, that. I'm, so, like, there's so many interesting things. I, um, I'm 41 now. And um, as we as I hit multiple cycles of cinema 
and like the trends of cinema. When I was a kid, I could I could I could like go, okay, zombies are not big anymore. Now they're big again. That's great. But you can't see past the bigger trends. Now I've seen the cycles a bunch of times and it's like people are like, oh, I hate horror movies right now. And it's like, well, okay, but wait five years. They'll be totally different. It's just the trends of the – and right now we're in like a – I think that we are in a second golden age of horror follow, follow, following the 80s. Um, I think that if you want a type of horror, it is out there for you. You might not like the mainstream horror, but there are so many avenues for horror on streaming platforms that everything's getting made, like every type of horror is getting made. Yeah, and it's it's such an incredible communicator of like the times we live in. And that's like what's been so beautiful about that cycle is like at different moments, it means something different. It's tapping into those like larger cultural anxieties and like, and I'll say, so I, I'm a, a high school teacher um, by day. Um, and, and truly and honestly, there are very few uh, horror references I can drop right now that my students don't pick up on immediately. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, you guys are really watching horror. And like, like we were uh, reading the legend of sleepy hollow for class. And because it opens with like that framing device, I was like, do you have found footage horror? And they're like paranormal activity, Blair Witch. I was like, okay, you're with me now. Like it's, Horror is in like a really special place right now where I think it's just, it's the passion for it feels like it's hitting like a fever pitch again. It's, it's one of those things where I try to, um, I've changed, right? When I first started hosting movies at the Colonial Theater, it was like, I had very strong opinions and they were, I was convicted of those, like, you know, this, these are the great movies. One of the reasons when you said, what's your favorite horror movie? I sort of have... Uh, I, I let things just – I just experience things now and I let the, let the experience happen more than I'm like, all right, these are the greatest 10 and these are the best 10 from the 80s and these are the best 10 zombie ones. I, I, to, I, I very much have disconnected this is a good film from I've enjoyed this thing. Um, and they're totally separate things. Um, sometimes I get real frustrated when people don't get that. But <laughs> I'm, I'm older and I've had the time to think about it, which is fair. Um, but but you're right, um, and and it's leading me to things to think about movies that people just offhandedly pan, but in a different way. So, for instance, um, you're mentioning films of the times. The remake of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre that came out on Netflix. Um, there was a moment in that film that I was moved by and impressed that they put in the film, because I feel like the entire film, just like Halloween Kills, is is uh, horror directors and writers desperately trying to get sides in America to realize that they're on the same side and they're hurting each other. Do you see what I, so, so the, the bad guy in Texas Chainsaw remake is the inability of people to empathize at all in any circumstance whatsoever with another person. Every single time they misconstrue and just go with it. And that forces the violent confrontation. But the thing I really found interesting was most of the characters aren't very good people. They have they lack empathy in an extreme degree. The the young woman who's like 16 who has been a victim of a school shooting walks into the garage of the handyman who carries a gun on him because there's pigs to kill, wild pigs in the area. Anyway, she walks in, he's working on a truck. They talk kind of oh, like they say hi. She walks over to the workbench where he has an assault rifle sitting on the table. And she looks at it and he stops what he's doing and he walks over. And he and she asks if it's loaded. He checks that it's not loaded and hands it to her and explains it's a tool. Uh, and and so he, like this is all sort of framing. What's really interesting is he looks over and he sees her scar on her shoulder down the side of like from where she's been shot. 
And, and he says to her, sort of trying to be empathetic in a way. You know, old man, it, it works, it tunes up on you. Because in his world, that's where you would get wounded by an abusive father. Mm. And when she says, she mentions the name of her school where the shooting happened, the actor playing the redneck guy's face literally changes. It's very subtle. But he had never considered that school shootings were real. He just thought they were news liberal propaganda to take away his guns. But now he's been faced with a person who is that thing and has suffered that. And it's right in his face. And he doesn't just snap at her. It processes. It, it, it's like this is a this is a shitty gore fest horror movie remake that people just trash. But there's this moment in there where empathy's almost a bridge is almost made and empathy almost reigns before louder, angrier heads prevail and then shit goes sideways. Yeah. yeah. Um, and ha- Halloween Kills does it even more specifically. Um, and I love it for that. No, and, and listen, I, I really appreciate that. I think there's always something that I think can happen is, is that in that trying to express how you maybe feel about a film and contextualize, like, where does it rank or is it good or is it bad? And like those like really, really like stark sides. I think we can get lost as remembering that like there are creative people behind this that had intentions and in anything there's value. It may not work for you. It may not be something that you want but there might be something there that real human beings have put time into creating. And the hope is, is that no one's doing that just to say, ah, we just need to get this picture made. No, someone's putting their heart and passion into it. It's something we talk a lot about on this podcast is two people who really love film and really want to see it celebrated in a way that even if you don't like something, there's probably something of merit there, even if you didn't like it. A hundred, like, right. Yes. So every single movie, uh, this is where I, I, this is where the fact that I've, I'm, I'm, uh, sort of a Buddhist comes in. Every single movie is an intersection of all of the people who worked on its intentions and efforts with the persons watching it and all of their life experiences to that point. So if I come back 10 years and watch a movie, my perspective on it's going to change because my life has 10 additional years of experiences. Um, and this is, this is the crazy thing. The pandemic, um, lots of bad things happened, but I sort of, lots of sort of, uh, aha moments happened for me. I loved and was shaped by the craft in the 1990s. I adore that film. It's so good. <laughs> Dude, we could so, talk the next five hours. I adore it. Absolutely adore it. Changed my life. Um, and, uh, I saw the trailer for the new one come out and uh, halfway through the trailer, um, I was starting to get a little angry. I'm like, this doesn't look like the movie that I like. And I'm, I'm usually kind of like whatever about uh, remakes. Like they're either going to be good and I'll add them to the continuity. Like I'll buy a copy or I just want to watch it again. It's not a big deal. Um, but so halfway through my brain clicked and went, this is not a movie made for you. This is made for a whole bunch of people who haven't found themselves need better representation and need a movie they can cling to. That's different than what you needed at 15 when the other one came out and it spoke to you. This is just a movie directed for somebody else. Not every movie needs to be for me. There's a whole lot of movies that are already for me. (laughs) I absolutely, I just want to like stand up, applaud you. I just, I mean, yeah. I mean, you put that into words in a way that just, 
It's so true. I mean, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, the two things there, like you talking about coming back 10 years later, is I think something that just not enough people think to do. It's just one off thought of of a film or a piece of work and then never taking the opportunity to try to reframe your your thinking on it and reframe how you're you're viewing it and i i think always no matter how you feel about a movie you should always give it a second chance whether it's in a couple of months or whether it's in like you said 10 years and then you talking about i love just what you're saying there about especially with remakes and sequels and we actually have a question about that a little later uh for you but it's it's a really great way of viewing it that I think not enough not enough of us not enough people see it as like like you're saying like yeah this movie isn't made for you like I think that's a great way to to think about it I think we all have to start looking at it that way a little bit better it's listen if if you're listening and you're like oh yeah but um but but so like I'm I'm so much happier watching movies now than I was when I had such strong adamants like this movie is the greatest one and this you shouldn't watch it because it's garbage like uh, listen, I've watched so many movies that are bad and, and it's fine. Like, and I'll tell you, Ed Wood is like people, normies hold him up as like, oh yeah, of course, Ed Wood, best, worst movie ever, director ever, ever. But I've watched so many worse movies than stuff that Ed Wood has made. But the idea that we trash Ed Wood or like sort of down talk him, he had passion and he had ideas and he knew what he wanted. He just didn't have the skill set to execute but yeah. the thing is, at the end of the day, we're still talking about Ed Wood. <laughs> so well, I don't know if you saw on, my shirt us. is an Ed Wood shirt. <laughs> I didn't even see that. <laughs> no, I, yes. <laughs> I looked in the Zoom and I'm like, your mic's blocking this for just a great uh, to your argument. <laughs> I, so I'm I just, if you're listening and you're like, I don't know about this, like ease back, man. I've had so much of a better time with the movies. Um, and, and with regard to like 10 years and distance with this stuff, um, a lot of the stuff from the, um, around the time when I was in college, like the early two thousands, um, I sort of hiatus from a lot of media because I was in college and I was doing other things. And so some of that stuff I don't think of as fondly as people who are younger, who grew up with stuff from the 2000s. So for instance, um, we added a much younger person uh, on our on our Fright Night Committee uh, a year and a half ago, uh, Kat, who is just 21 or 22. Um, and and Kat's perspective on what people might want to see and what, what her favorite stuff is, is very different than mine. So last year when we were planning and she was like, let's watch, we should show Jennifer's body. And I was like, man, I remember seeing that in the theater. I thought it was a stinker. Like, really? Um, and, and she was like, I really like this movie. And I was, I, you know, I'm like, okay, that's fine. I'll, I'll give it another watch. And we got it on 35 millimeter. And I'm watching this movie. And another really important thing was our audience was very different that night. That night there were, the, the audience was 90% women. And it was uh, 50 to 60% women who were under 25, high school, college kids, um, coming out thanking us for showing it, saying this movie meant, means so much to us. And I had no idea. I just I just remember the the advertising campaign being like from Fox being like sexy Megan Fox. Like yeah. um, and then you get into it and it's a really actually deep movie on um on bodily autonomy and um and what women are going through from multiple perspectives. Um it was way ahead of its time. Well, it's funny you say that because that's for me it's a still a how could you, um, which is the basis of our title of our show, of of how, you know, but it's funny you say that because I dismissed it 
by those trailers as well. Never went to, and and it didn't get great reviews much. And we have a niece that's, you know, 24. 24. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) You know, who swears by the film, absolutely loves it, much what you're talking about. And it's like, and I really wanted to rewatch it because it was just hearing her talk about it and the the passion for it and going, oh, exactly what you're saying. Like it was reframing it again, going, oh, I think this was just mismarketed and wasn't something that I realized to, to view it in a, in a different way. And I think like, you know, that's like such an incredible experience of film in that way, because like, you know, it's, and then this is maybe kind of leaning towards something, but like, you know, I think sometimes we like look, we look backwards, right? Like the things that we grew up with or the things that came before us that we know are like kind of marked as classics, but we sometimes forget to look towards the forward of like, okay, so this wasn't made for like my adolescence, but it was made for someone else's and that might have meaning and context that I don't even understand. And it's so important, like within film programming, you know, and and I and I applaud theaters, you know, like the Colonial that do this to be considering like the wide range of perspectives and people who are coming to the theater, um, because you want everyone to get to have a piece of that connectivity. Like we're talking about, you know, how beautiful it is to hear people reacting to Casablanca. That experience should be extended to the person who Jennifer's body is something that made an experience feel incredibly legible on film, like. So in that way, that's like so special, like that you, you know, that you got to have that experience of like rewatching it, like in that context of someone else's love for the film. Like that's so cool. It's it's a gradual process, right? So um, everything that everything in our society is designed to push us to pick a thing or another thing and then pit them against each other. Everything. It's crazy. Um, and when you can see that and step back and say like, I can like Lucio Fulci's zombie and Jennifer's body. And I don't have to like quantify that any more than I enjoy these films. Um, you, you feel a lot better. Um, there's a really funny story about, um, the way we used to program, uh, the cult and horror shows. Um, I'm not sure if you know, Nick Lombardo, he's on our, uh, uh, uh committee and, uh, he, is a big, big dude in the area uh, of horror. And um, for the longest time, for like the early 20 teens, every time we would meet, he would be like, we should show Spice World. And we would all laugh at him like, of course not. We're not going to show Spice World. Like our normal cult movies are like Donnie Darko and like, you know, uh, a martial arts movie or like rock and roll high school or something like that. Like, you know, uh, what you can generally consider a cult movie. Um and for several years, he would do this and we would just dismiss it. And then one year, I think all of us had collectively gotten to the point where we were just going to let him show it. We weren't going to push back, but he didn't bring it up. The meeting was sort of ending. And we're like, I, I said, aren't you going to aren't you going to suggest Spice World? And he was really downtrodden. He was like, no, you guys are just going to tell me it's dumb and not. And not. and we were and I was like, no, I was going to I was going to say, yeah, let's show it this year. And somebody else was like, me, too. And he was like, really? And so, so we showed Spice World. And, uh, you know, it was like a, a, a for the time, it was a really huge audience. It was yeah. like almost 300 people. And they all came dressed up and they danced in the aisles and they had a wonderful time. I came to it like I'm not really a fan of the movie i i didn't i wasn't a spice girls fan back then um and I, I i sat through the movie i watched the crowd i enjoyed the crowd energy i don't have to see the movie again but i can respect that those people love that and we gave them a wonderful time not every movie we show needs to be a movie i like yeah well and that's such a it's a great way of planning your program right because you're trying to catch a wide audience well you said spice one i was like uh yeah we had so we we were fortunate enough a few years ago to go to london and um, they were doing a screening of Spice World on a rooftop. 
And we both were, I was like, come on, this is like too good. But we both talked about like, what is this experience going to be like for Londoners? Like, is this something that is going to be charming or kind of like, like scoffed at? It was so energetic, like singing and dancing and just people like quoting. And he was like, I remember you looking, he's like, people are like quoting. I'm like, yes, because for people who had Spice World dolls and every album and like longs for this, this is an incredible moment. (laughs) Of childhood come back. It's nice, right? Like it's it's one of those things where um, uh, you sort of realize this. Some movies just are a place and time in life moment, and they won't work for people before or after you, and they don't have to. Um, I just wish people like listening and other people when we interact with them would. You sort of want to get people to that point that you've taken the long time to get to faster. You're like, oh, 20-something person, please let me tell you about why you don't have to waste a decade being salty (laughs) about movies. You could just chill. So I have to ask, uh, you know, with with your perspective on this, which I really, really appreciate – You know, do you think that is with just time or do you think that that's aided by working, you know, at the Colonial? And the reason why I ask that is just because, like, I know even in the short time we've been doing this, uh, we've had a couple of really great opportunities. One, just being able to do this. We've done a couple of short films, whether working on it or creating our own. And it was like just working through that process of things has just caused us like for myself, I know I view it differently than maybe even three or four years ago when we started the podcast, I would be a little bit more willing to talk negatively about something. And now I'm like, we talk about that with episodes. It's like, I don't really want to do an episode if we aren't going to talk about the film in a really positive light. Um, And I'm just curious, do you think like your perspective was aided by the fact, or do you just think it's just life experience that, that kind of got you to that, that place? It's, it's a lot. Um, I had a long way to go um, to sort of not to bring us all real down, but just truthfully, um, I grew up in a blue collar working class neighborhood and with surrounded by toxically masculine men and just feeding bad ideas. Um, and it took me a really long time to recognize those. Like I, I recognized early on, like bigotry was bad and things like that. But then, you know, uh, sort of being able to deprogram those things takes time. It takes patient people around you who will say something like just pull you aside and say, hey, that thing you just said, I know you didn't, you're not, you don't mean that in the way that you didn't mean to hurt people. And that's hurtful. Um, uh it, it's really a matter uh, like for me it was a long climb um but i do think uh, programming helps seeing other people's perspective helps um uh it's really it's tough to say i think everybody's coming at everything from different perspectives with different baggage and with different with different hills to climb um for me it makes uh, the the my background makes me sort of i'm italian um i'm 100% italian so uh um the, the sort of automatic reflex sometimes is just to think something is dumb or put something down and it took me a long time to not think that way and the internet and social media and online discussions they're all geared toward pushing you into the bad behavior 
and like rewarding you and for reveling in it. Um, uh, I, I have a really good friend who, um, he said, oh, I, I, I just got back from Ghostbusters Afterlife. I really loved it. I'm like, oh, that's great. I'm seeing it tonight. We'll talk about it tomorrow. I can't wait to talk to you about it. By the time I talked to him the next day, he had watched Red Letter Media's coverage of it, which slammed it um, as only worthy, uh, as only good because of nostalgia. And he was like, oh, yeah, no, I don't like it anymore. Red Letter Media explained why I shouldn't like it because it was um, um, not worthy of being liked because of nostalgia baiting. And it's like, but but you enjoyed the thing. You had a wonderful experience that you let YouTube um, uh, personalities talk you out of. How sad is that? Yeah. Um, the online discourse is terrible. Um, uh, I used to be able to watch the everything wrong with videos and just take them with a grain of salt, but, um, they have convinced an entire generation of film watchers that just normal film like tropes and, and tools are, are worthy of sinning. Um, narration in a film automatically gets sinned. That's what are you discounting everything from below before the fifties? Um, is, is, is Blade Runner's theatrical cut just going to get a ding for that? Um, like being in black and white, um, just lots of things that are, um, being campy, like two decades of film were campy on purpose. Like that's, that's not a sin. That was the intention. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, you know, my wife watches them when doesn't care about these things, but sometimes I'm sitting there and I'm just like, nope, I'm leaving the room. I can't, I can't, um, <laughs> Because for the same reason, I don't want to be negative. Like people did, did a lot of work. I, mean, I could just walk away. Like I could say, oh, I didn't like this film. And then just walk away and find a film I do like. Why waste my time hating a film when I could just find a better film? Right. Like, so this, this has happened where like, I know myself, like, I, cause I feel the turning or like, I feel the stoking of anger of like, and, and we used to watch the same thing that everything wrong with. And I was like, I can't, especially if I love a movie, because the way they're going to pick at it is so desperately unfair. And even movies that I yep. don't particularly like, I'm like, I'm not enjoying this because it's just it's about negativity and there's no substance. Like, it's just negative, not critical or critiquing, which, I, you know, is important in film. Like, and I think that can be a fun part of the conversation, the critiquing, the debating the playful jabs at like, well, no, this sequel version is better. Listen, as a Star Wars fan, I live in that. Like, so, sure. <laughs> you know, Can I, but, so um, go ahead. I have to tell you something about Star Wars. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> um, but I think it's, it, I think it's like, it's there, it's the too far or the, the rampant negativity. It's like, it can really degrade the art form because it makes you think out of the gate things that you should be considering you now shouldn't because it has narration, which is a really right. useful tool in film. <laughs> right. Right. Um, we actually, uh, uh, don't forget to let me come back to Star Wars, but we actually had, we were gonna book this movie that is very exploitative, uh, right before the pan. It was, it was actually going to be in like February, uh, uh, April ish of 2020. Um, and it took a long time for Nick and I to convince the theater that this was a valuable film to show because on the surface, it's not. Um, the film is, the Cheerleaders from 1973. It's a sexploitation comedy, um, like a drive-in movie. And there's not hardcore uh, uh, adult content in it, but there is softcore adult content in it, and there's nudity in it. Um, and the plot of the film is these cheerleaders want their football team to win, so they they screw the other team so that they're so tired they can't win. But the the... It's first wave feminism. It's four waves behind, but it's incredibly important to, to track that progress. The women in these films aren't being sexualized so much as they are controlling their sexuality and using it 
as they see fit. For the first time in cinema history, it's always been men dictating the terms of the relationships. Here's a movie where they go the whole other way. And at the time, that was incredibly progressive. Um, but it's just, it's at, at this point, it really wouldn't play well. Um, I still think it's valuable. I just don't think it's a movie we could show. Well, you know, because it is that it, the conversation has to be so thorough and has to come from such an open space of like, hey, this is and and certainly like you can do that in an intro, but it's also you almost want to like have that follow up conversation too of like, how do we contextualize this in in the progression of feminism in a way that makes you understand, well, why was this progressive at the time? It doesn't feel that way now, but it's like that text is still rich and valuable because it built us towards something. Yep. Um, and, and that's such a value experience. Okay, I do have to ask, what did, what did you want to say about Star Wars? I have to stop you before I get to Star Wars. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to gild the lily a little more. I just, <laughs> just what we're talking about, um, sort of, you have to remember, you have to watch these movies that would seem offensive now to understand how far we've come, how fast. When I introduced Thelma and Louise for our Classic Sundays, a film from the 90s, I, I noted that um, it might seem weird to some of the young people why these women were so desperate and, and how they had no way to get away. But less than 20 years before Thelma and Louise came out, a woman could not have a checking account without a man co-signing on it, whether it was her husband or her father. Just 20 years before. And there were there were teens and 20-somethings in the audience who were stunned that this was a thing. They came out afterwards and they're like, was it really just the set? Like, yeah. Like until the, the 1979, a woman couldn't have a credit card. Like they had to pass a law. And I think like that historical context is important because it's like you're thinking about like, guys, it's not five generations removed from you. It's a generation removed from you. Right, and right. And that's why, and that's why them, it's, I think it's terrible when they do fathom events and they show Gone with the Wind. Because if you show Gone with the Wind, it's your responsibility to get on stage and explain <laughs> the context. Yeah. And, to, and, to, and to not apologize for the film, but say there's things in here that should be apologized for. Not, not me, the host, but, you know, uh, this is the first African-American woman to win an Oscar. That's incredible. But it's for playing a mammy stereotyped character. So both parts of that are important. And just going to a Fathom event, sitting down, watching their commercials, and then watching the film without context does no one a service. No, because then you're experiencing something and you just walk out confused and how many people are going to walk out with the anger and the hurt of that versus the, okay, let me do some historical research and see, you know, who can I go to, to maybe contextualize this in a way where I understand why Fathom Events might be showing this. Like you do, you need someone who's willing to provide that compassionate and culturally aware education as part of it's, the film it's viewing. It's so pattern. critical. It's it's the only way to be able to show Old, like, like people always come up to me like, well, you can't show Blazing Saddles anymore. You sure can. And you just told me that the reason you think that it's a great movie is because you think it's a great racist comedy instead of a Jewish man taking down racism and skewering it with the racism. Yeah. Yeah. And exactly. It's like it's, it's the refinement <laughs> of the conversation. It's the the understand it, the full context of it is what yeah. you have. OK. OK. I'm sorry. I gilded the Star Wars. Lily Never so say sorry. Okay. So um, uh, we have begun showing the Star Wars films in release order once a year. So we should um, – it's a big – it's a really big deal. Bob worked incredibly hard with our um, uh, film distribution folks and Disney because um, for a, a long time we couldn't show Disney films. Mm -hmm. um, Disney did a thing where it was like um, if you are showing first-run Disney movies, you can't show repertory Disney movies. 
So we had to stop showing rep first run Disney movies so we could show. And this became especially troublesome when they bought Fox. Yeah, right. So it was like we for was a year we couldn't show Die Hard because because it was a Fox, it was a Disney Fox. Um, anyway, so he did really hard work. We can show the movies now. Um, we just showed Empire Strikes Back next year. will be Return of the Jedi. So after Star Wars, uh, episode four, um, he had millennials, uh, young millennials and older Gen Zers come right up to him and be like, so when are you going to get to the prequels? They're the best Star Wars movies. <laughs> and here's the thing. We're going to show them. And it's great that they love them. But this is where the the ability to discern between this is a good thing and I enjoyed this thing is critical. They aren't the best Star Wars movies. You have a great nostalgia love for them, and I love that, and I'm going to delight in you watching them. But the but you thinking that they're the best Star Wars films isn't actually uh, an honest take. They're not. They're just not. <laughs> from, from every cinematic convention, they're just not. Well, and it's really interesting you say that because, like, so I, I I'm not as I'm a big fan of the sequel trilogy in a big bad way, but and and I yeah, have me, found me too, and and people look at me funny. I love them. <laughs> well, because like you say, it and they're like, but I thought you liked Star Wars. Yes, <laughs> yes, I do love Star Wars. What's your what films did you watch? Uh, it's, <laughs> talk about another conversation I could go for another five hours. But it's always funny because like so every year on May the fourth, I always show my we watch uh, Star Wars in class, uh, not for any academic purposes, but because of celebratory. It's, purposes. it's for academic purposes. I get it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I always let them pick, and and this is I will so I will have. I, I and I, I keep it to the to the trilogies, and I have like the nine films sitting out. And let me tell every, every year and every block, can we watch mm-hmm. Revenge of the Sith. Sure, guys. Or my favorite is like, can we watch the one where he kills the kids? Oh God, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so um, this is you're bringing up an incredible point that I love, um, which is I'm I'm a I'm some Star Wars fan. I'm a Star Trek nerd. Star Trek might be actually the thing I'm the nerdiest about. I like you could be like this episode. I'm like, oh, that's on this planet, um, <laughs> or like the starship classes, not just the names of the starships. Oh, that's um, great. I'm a mystery science theater nerd, um, and we have had them at the theater a bunch of times, which is a which is just like the craziest thing. Um, I'm a bad movie nerd, like, I'll make, like shitty movies. Um, so like we are in an era where we're getting so much new star wars content so much there are like six star trek shows at the same time like that just rotate through which one's on we're getting new episodes of mystery science theater 3000 we're getting new um last drive-in stuff with joe bob briggs like we are living in a golden era and nerds couldn't be angrier and like quicker to look for things they hate it's so like like look you might not like star trek discovery First of all, if you really hate it, you're probably racist. It's just <laughs> or, or homophobic. And you're just telling me that right off the bat. Right. You hate it, hate it. Like if you're if you're like I didn't like that, and you just you move on. That's fine. If you're like angrily foaming at the mouth, right. you probably don't like gay people, and that's that's your problem, not mine. But if you didn't get, um, it's the same thing when people didn't like the um, the Evil Dead from 2013, which is people love it now. But when it came out, it was split, and people were angry as as hell. And it's like they hated it. But if you didn't get that movie and it didn't do well, you don't get Ash versus Evil Dead, which they love. Right. Right. So it's like if you didn't get Star Trek Discovery, you don't get um, um, the next generation reunion in Picard season three. You don't get Star Trek Strange New Worlds, which is literally the best Star Trek we've gotten in 25 years. 
Well, and that's, and I agree with you entirely, the sentiment of like, you know, why are we, why are we so angry when probably when we were kids, we were thinking, well, I mean, wouldn't it cool we have this many more Star Wars, this many more Star Trek? And they're literally giving it to us and people are like, yeah, but it's not my Star Wars. <laughs> right. What are you right. talking about? Oh my gosh. It's so, oh my God. And like, if we had the internet when Star Trek The Next Generation premiered in 1987, we would have gotten one and a half seasons and it would have been canceled. Right. And that would have been the end of Star Trek. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you just want to look at her and be like, shush, this is why we don't have nice things. No one wants right. to stop complaining. And it's like, um, you, I mean, and, and, and I think what even is more crazy about it is like you're talking about, there's just so much there. Just move on to the next thing. It, if you don't like it, that's fine. <laughs> the next thing it's people have learned to make their personality about the thing the things that they hate yeah and it's such a sad thing right. like love love things like you're gonna be like you'll be dead like i always this is a thing um uh um, i'm a big reader of uh Thich Nhat Han. he's a he was a venerated buddhist monk he passed away just a handful of years ago um but he was a contemporary of martin luther king he um uh is, is incredible but um he would commonly say like um, you're angry right now. You're angry that you're in traffic or you're angry that someone's picked a fight with you or you're angry at this or that. In 300 years, what will that have mattered? And you, it just, it diffuses everything. You're like, I, I'm so mad that Star Trek Discovery is doing this thing. I'm like, well, in 300 years, will that matter? No, it won't. So I guess I'm not going to worry about this. <laughs> well, and it's it's such an incredible like guiding principle for like not just fandom, but like life philosophy too. Of like, hey, it won't matter. And like, so why not just celebrate the things while you're here and celebrate the things that you love more grandly than you yell about the things that you hate. It's- right, right. And it's one of the, um, whenever I, I'm usually interviewed about Blobfest, people are like, why is this thing a thing? And why is it, why is it even special? The, the cr- incredible thing about Blobfest is that it is the only time in my entire life for a three-day span where nobody has pretensions. Nobody's better than a thing. We're literally all showing up for a for a, what was originally a B movie, but then quickly wasn't a B movie. I'll explain that in a second. Um, but like it was a camp fest. It's like a schlo- it's it's sort of schlocky, but it's way better. It punches above its weight. Um, but like everyone at Blobfest is like, I'm here for the camp, I'm here for the schlock. Um, I have told jokes that as I'm finishing saying them, I'm like, that was terrible. That was 100% terrible. And they've given me the polite chuckle and clap. They're like, we're here for that. It's okay. I'm sure that you'll tell a better joke in a couple minutes. It's okay. And and um, that's like the vibe of Blive Blobfest. And I think it's why so many people just keep coming back. It's just, we're all the nerdy kid that weekend and it's okay. It is, is honestly like, it felt like a utopia for a cross-section of many things that we love, which is film and sci-fi and retro aesthetic and like i was just like why there's um there's a popular disney event called dapper day um where people go to the disney park okay so you're very well of course you're very well uh, as a as a former swing like traveling swing dancer i know people all over the country from dancing so i would see the la dancers when dapper day happens they'd be like you should come to dapper day sometime like yeah okay i'll yeah yeah the the band that plays it uh fat cat swinger um they've been on they've they've i've danced them they've played dances here in pennsylvania when they've been coming through several times so i've met them a couple times Oh, that's so cool. Okay, so, yeah, you know, and honestly, even as I said, I was like, he obviously knows what Dapper is. <laughs> but, like, that's, I said to him, I was like, it's like a whole weekend of that. And and because people really committed there. And there was so much, like, 
like from my perspective, what I noticed a lot of too was like everyone passing up like, oh, I love your outfit. That's a great skirt. I love this. I love this. And it was just such an incredible weekend of just like love and passion and like, let's be, let's be silly about these things and let's love these things and let's encourage each other. And like, and in and the entertainment you guys put on, like the, the Friday night show, this was our first time being at Bluffus and we were like, this is the greatest thing ever. This is like <laughs> the total, like it's, I, I'm like a sucker for a good pun. And it just, it was... <laughs> In a big yeah, well, way. you got your fill, right? Oh, <laughs> I was like, <laughs> that stage show on Friday night. I'm just looking at her, and I'm like, "This is heaven for her." Like, geez. it's um, I, I wish I, I can go back through it because I have um the script that Aurora wrote, but um, uh, yeah, no, the puns per minute is like off the charts. <laughs> I've never appreciated so much hearing about the sponsors as the way. <laughs> You guys find a way to introduce them into the show. I mean, just so, absolute genius. <laughs> uh, like legitimately, we're doing rehearsal that morning and I'm coming out. I only have a couple of lines in the Friday show, but um, I, I'm coming out to do my lines and they're they're just so punny. And I'm just like, just like uh, I, I'm doing them and then I get um uh, mugging at the where the audience will be and i'm just i just stop and i'm like is this too much am i punning too hard am i mugging too much and and she's just like no go go completely at the <laughs> and we did we sure did yeah it was so like it was so delightful and entertaining and i was just like and then, like you know like the blob ball afterwards and the music and the band i was just like and like just like like the red pens i'm like i've been transported back in time and i just and I think that's what's so, I mean, obviously, you know this, I'm not saying anything you don't know, but I think afterwards, we just kept talking about, like, we have to do this every year. This is the greatest weekend ever, because it's just this cross-section of people who are just like, let's just be super energetic about this. And let's just be like crazy nerdy together about all of these things that we probably all love in pockets, or we're the person in the friend group who's like, I'm like, Yes, you're you're the one who's really into the retro stuff or like, you know, the older movies. And then you just you're but then for a weekend, you're surrounded by everyone in that friend group. It's just I will tell you that the the Blobfest come down the hangover, the emotional hangover after Blobfest is crippling is literally so um uh, the wednesday after blobfest um uh, we started up a dnd session with a bunch of people from blobfest so they came over and i was like oh this is this is so great thank you like you have no idea like i was basically just on the precipice of post blobfest depression until you all came over <laughs> <laughs> well i'd imagine too because there has to be so much build-up and so much planning as well for you like as i can say as patrons like it was definitely like oh i just want to you know, we use this expression when, we, when we've worked on films with our friends of like, oh, I just want to get on the bus again with my friends. Like there's, and that's how that felt that after that weekend, it was like, I just, I want to be back in that space. I want to be walking up and down Bridge Street and getting themey things and enjoying that. So I can only imagine from <laughs> you, your perspective, how that feels. It's, um, it's, uh, it, you just want, don't want to miss anything and it's impossible to get everything. Um, yeah, especially when you're performing, but, um, but you're right. Uh, I used to always be, say to people, like when you watch something like Ocean's Eleven, you can clearly tell that these are all, that they're all big Hollywood actors, but this is a friend group who yeah. got money to do this thing together with their friends. And I would love, like, I'm so jealous of that, but older me is like, but you get to do that. You get to, you get to do that. Just, you know, be aware of that in the moment so that you can enjoy it. Um, and, um, and we have people who come in from different parts of the country now every year for Blobfest that are like extended family that you see once a year. Um, like you're, you're hugging people. I, um, I video like of me walking the line 
to get in Friday night from years ago. And like, I'm talking to, I'm, I'm like, that's the first time I talk to Jared. I see that guy every year. He brings his whole family. And now this, every time I see him, it's like a run up and hug thing just from Blobfest. It's such a wonderful time. I, I just, I can't, I'll, I would gush unlimitedly about it. I, we, we had an opportunity to talk with you briefly Saturday night, yeah. uh, right before the showing of 88 Blob. And oh my God, I almost, I passed out during that movie in the seat. <laughs> <laughs> I love that movie, by the way. It's not like a, it's not like a diss on that movie. Yeah. It, it was the first Blob I saw as a kid. Okay. It's, um, you know, but you had just, you had mentioned, like, we were, you know, just thanking you and, and it was, you had just said back, like, the, the secret was we get to just have fun and it showed, um, I mean, you know, not just you, everybody that worked there, what we could not stop talking about was from Friday night to Sunday afternoon, just smiles and, and so cordial, so pleasant and happy and, and, you know, just doing everything. And you guys were nonstop. Like what I could not get over being there the first, this first year is, is just the scale of it. Um, and how many people are there. And it feels like some of you guys were in four different spots at once. Uh, like, <laughs> you know, like we couldn't even keep up with all the events, <laughs> how you guys. <laughs> and you can't, um, if there was a certain point, um, where the, the road diverged, right? Yeah. So at a certain point you could basically kind of make most of the blob fest things in one weekend go. And then, um, it, it, once we got the additional theaters and we could program other things, it was like, Nope, like you, you got, it's like a choose your own adventure and you got to pick what you're going to. <laughs> Um, I missed, I missed out on, um, one of the movies I, I missed out on, um, one of the universal movies because, because this year the costume contest was in a monsoon that just didn't yes. stop. <laughs> and I was soaked to the bone. And I, I, once I went back to the dressing room, I, I brought outfits. Like I had, I had, uh, 12 wardrobe changes through the weekend. Yeah. Um, uh, um, so I went back and I was like, cool, I've got a whole other outfit. I'll just change into it early. This isn't a problem. I got down there and I, and I unzipped my, my wardrobe bag and I was like, I have socks, I have pants, I have shirt. I don't have dry underwear. Oh, no. so now I'm texting people like who lives in town and can run towels to me <laughs> yeah. so I can dry off. Um, but I was in like the dressing room for like an hour waiting for my shorts to dry so I could oh, put my no. new outfit on. <laughs> Um, but right after you saw me, I got, um, I hadn't, I hadn't gotten dinner. So I had nachos and the, um, the, the frost, the Slurpee from the concession stand. So I sat down in the front row to watch Blob 88 and, yeah. um, uh, uh, Aurora did the introduction and she was actually hightailing it over to the after party at root down oh, yeah. with, yeah. um, our, with Tony Cadaver who played, uh, the Frankenstein monster on Friday night. Um, his, his misfits cover band was playing. And um, that's basically where everybody who worked Blobfest went to after mm -hmm. if they didn't watch the movie. So I'm sitting in the front row holding my nachos and Slurpee and, and the film starts. And uh, there's there's a um, uh, Kevin Dillon with his mullet and his leather jacket. <laughs> and the next thing I know, it's 25 minutes in and I, I, I started awake because I'd fallen asleep. Oh. And I looked down and I had poured my Slurpee into my nachos and it was oh. like a slurry in the tray. <laughs> And I said, oh, man, I better go home. It's like an early, we had like a 9 a.m. or 8.30 call time for the Mystery Science Theater convention the next the Sunday of Blobfest. So um, but like I, I had to go by Root Down to, to just make, you know, say hi to everybody. Yeah. And it was like another two hours in Root Down. 
because I couldn't leave. I kept trying to leave and people would grab me. <laughs> like, there's a lot of photos from that night and they're lovely. And I, and I love talking to my friends, but man. Well, then it's just like, like an Italian event though, right? Oh like, <laughs> right. The only way to get sleep is to Irish goodbye everybody. <laughs> yeah. We always say that like whenever we have family event and like we were very fortunate, we have a very big family of uh, 14 nieces and nephews. Like, wow. and we always say like, it takes two hours to leave anywhere because you say bye. But then the first person you said bye to, it's been a while since you said bye to them. So you got to go say bye again. You got to re- re-up the bye. Yes. Uh, the question and, and is, though, is Slurpee nachos a new thing? Yeah. Like, are they? <laughs> I, I, You know, I didn't test the waters. I wasn't brave enough. I had too Blob, much to do on I'm Sunday. I'm just saying blob nachos for next year. <laughs> <laughs> oh, unholy alliance. <laughs> And, um, you know, it's, it's just, uh, it's great. And I love to get to share it with folks and, um, uh, the virtual events too. I, 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 they were so good. Um, I do wish we could continue them, but, uh, like I said, it's just too oh, much all yeah. at once. Um, but yeah, no, it's a recovery period. I, I now take the week after Blobfest off. I don't need the whole week, but it's one of those things where I have the vacation time. <laughs> Do you, uh, with all the events that go on at the Colonial, do you, I mean, I'm going to say outside of Blobfest, because it seems, I think that, is there one that you find a little more near and dear to your heart? Um, so the Italian Splatterfest is really partial. Like that was my idea originally. Okay. Um, and, and it's inspired by something Exhumed Films had done when I first started going to them in like, I was in college, like 2000. Um, my friend, my friend at, at college, Tom, was like, "Yo, we have to go over to New Jersey because they were in Pensacola at the time at, uh, at the okay. Hoyts. They were like, we got to go to Pensacola because these people are putting on this five movie marathon and they're showing this movie that you will not believe. And that was my first time seeing Burial Ground and Cemetery Man um, on a on a bill with five movies. So, um, you know, the Exum Films hadn't been doing an Italian film a series. They are now. They're doing one um, at Filamoca. Um, uh, which is also great. And um, so, uh, you know, they hadn't done one in like a decade. And I was like, I love this thing. Can we do this thing? All right, cool. Let's do this thing. Um, and we originally, for the first couple of years, we had something, a VIP ticket you could get um, for the Splatter Feast in like a VIP lounge. And we had um, a catering come in from Shorty Sunflower Cafe. He's a friend. And um, at the time, uh, he he was able to do that because he had a food truck. And they he was like like gourmet level uh, takes on Italian food in the middle of your shitty Italian horror movie marathon. Um, um, that, that, when that came back, when we were able to bring that back, um, it was so critical. And this year <clears throat> I got on stage and the one movie I was like, we need to show was um, nothing underneath, which I had seen on shutter at some point during the pandemic lockdown. And it blew my mind that I had never heard of it before. So it was the last movie we were showing. It wasn't going to start until like 3 a.m. And I said to the audience at the beginning, I said, look, you're going to be tired and you're going to be like, I don't need to see what this thing is. And I'm telling you right now, you are going to be so mad. You need to stay for this movie. It's got sex. It's got violence. It's got Donald Pleasance as a Spanish detective with a mustache who eats spaghetti at, at, at Spanish McDonald's. You do not want to leave. And at the end of the night, like a dozen people came up to me and they were like, I am so happy that you said that. That just blew my mind. And I'm so happy I stayed for it. And that that's that makes the world for me. That kind of thing is. But there, there's so many movies throughout the year, like one-offs and like uh, screenings. Like um, uh, I didn't really ever care for it, but I came to love um, uh, White Christmas. 
And I understand why people might not. There's that overtone of, yeah, yeah, you know, I understand that it's a post-World War II movie designed for vets who came back and it did gangbusters for them. Um, but there's something about the movie um, that I love that everything is very clearly a set. These are like top of their game, A-list singers, songwriters, and actors, uh, performers in this movie. But like you, they dance, they go to dance outside of a, of a, of a Copacabana type restaurant. And it's clearly a dock, like the kind of level of like water that you would see on a kid's ride on a pier and like <laughs> a fake background. They're not hiding that it's fake, yeah. um, but you're still transported. You're still blown away by this movie on every level. And I feel, I, I felt so happy when I saw Barbie and found out that was all practical sets because uh like we were talking about with the everything uh, with the everything wrong with videos it's like every scene that they can see in a movie at at uh at uh, on a on 4K and pausing it like none of those movies were like from uh, from 20 years ago anything beyond 20 years ago they didn't think you were going to pause this frame right. by frame and high, and high res um <laughs> So, so like uh, that kind of thing, they would, if they watched white Christmas, they would sin that those were clearly sets. It's like, no, that's, that's fantastical. And it's yeah. wonderful that you can be taken away by that. And yeah. Barbie does that same thing. And when it happened, it like, as soon as it came up, I was just like, I I'm comfortable. This is like a lovely feeling to be enwrapped by this film. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I, I always think of, I love the line in the fablemans um when she says uh movies are dreams that you never forget because i think sometimes we forget they're supposed to feel kind of like a dream yeah. and i think that's like the really great thing that barbie did to harken back to when the construction of sets felt like the added value and not a detraction towards like well this isn't real it's like no they're supposed to be dreams too guys like you know right right like look um post 9-11 film has its own specific thumbprint it's it's yeah. responsible for the sky beam giant thing that every cityscapes blow up because it's a it's a, a catharsis our culture still has not um fully come through um but like when we look back that 20-year period after 9-11 is indelibly marked. Films changed just the same way that film horror films changed after we started to see uh, Vietnam footage on TV. Um, stuff from England where they couldn't show gore, they could only show sex. That stuff stopped playing well in America because they were like, well, this isn't scary. I'm seeing people get torn apart on TV every night. And Romero comes along with Night of the Living Dead and movies changed. Yeah. Well, those shifts. But seriously, like Barbie's amazing. I love Barbie. Yeah. No, Barbie's so good. <laughs> she, she, we just went to see it for the third time. Yeah. So we, we did the, uh, we've done it now with, with the regular showing. We've done uh, the Mahoney, or sorry, the drive-in. Shake Lodge drive-in. And then we did uh, the IMAX version. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. The IMAX of Barbie. That's yeah. So it, um, no we had, it, it has our, it's our record for a new, a new film. It holds our record now for, um, a new film at the colonial um we had for for several weeks we would have to go into the houses after the right before the film started and kick out people who bought a ticket for something else because barbie was sold out and were sitting in the aisles oh my gosh wow <laughs> what a special thing to have happen like what a reinvigoration of what it means to gather around cinema like the way people have shown up for barbie and and deservedly so because it's so awesome it's it's not it's not even a four quadrant film right because it does more than that <laughs> <laughs> yes. we've been talking a lot about event films 
And to me, I, I do you think event film you know, is kind of the best way to view a film? Or are you still, you know, no, standard viewing is, is just as good? Um so I don't wanna I don't wanna gatekeep, right? I don't wanna tell somebody who has Certainly. A horror movie just in their living room or their basement or yep. something or or just on joe bob right like just watching the yeah. uh, last drive-in that it's not an authentic thing i do think that um there is something to be said for seeing a movie on the big screen especially um uh, and I'm, I'm not a 35 millimeter like or bust person i was i was for a while i'm like yeah. show it even if it's pinned <laughs> yeah. um, but like there are, i know I've, I've talked to folks who were who won't come to a screening of something that literally a film print doesn't exist for and we have a, a, a 4k restoration um and they're like well i'm not i can watch that at home it's like but but you but that's not you're sort of being obtuse on purpose and right. I, I get the love for 35 and, and i wanted to say all that before i say uh, i have a very esoteric and deep love for 35 because when you watch a 35 millimeter film print every single time it's run lights being thrown through celluloid and it's changing the film print it will never be the same the next time it's run light is coming out it's hitting the screen and it's hitting your eyeballs and you're experiencing a physical reality the thing is is that i kind of feel like every audience that sees a 35 millimeter film print leaves a marker on that film print because just a tiny bit of that light that hits your face is bouncing back and hitting that screen. And then a tiny fraction of that light is making it back to the film print. Just the tiniest bit. It's not perceptible, but we know it's there. We know that light has traveled back. Just a tiny bit of it. So every audience that sees a 35 millimeter film print leaves a tiny impact on it. And as part of that film print's legacy and history, I, I, you can't do that in your house. Yeah. Oh gosh, that just made me like warm, fuzzy <laughs> feelings. Do you have kind of um a white whale, if you will, of a of a you know maybe an event film that you would like to to do that you just haven't had an opportunity that you can share with us? Uh, <laughs> um, so a lot of a lot of the films that made a big impact on me as a teen, we've got to show. So it's it's one of the reasons I've also sort of like I'm not. I'm not like adamant, like we need to show X, Y, and Z, like and fight anybody like I used to, because a lot of the ones that I really needed to see again, um, and, and, and maybe these mean nothing to people, but like hackers, we got to show hackers that matters to me. Um, we showed empire records, which is one of my all time favorite films. Um, and a film that I can quote so back to front that I can't watch the director's extended cut because it doesn't fit the timing that I have become accustomed to. <laughs> Um, <laughs> so like things like that, um, the movie you Swinger. celebrate Rex Manning day every year. I do every single year. Yes. Amazing. Yes. I, I literally <laughs> recreated from, oh, I sorry. created the buttons from the, that Deborah makes in the movie from scratch because there was no, at the time there wasn't a Blu-ray and the only online picture of those buttons was like 400 pixels by 300 pixels. So I built them from scratch in illustrator and handed them out at the screening. That's awesome. And people came back up and they were fighting over the ones they wanted. They wanted the one with Rex with the cross out. Um, and they were, they were trading in the aisles. It was great. Um, when, when we showed Demolition Man, which again um, is a movie that knows exactly what it's doing. Oh, yeah. It's oh, yeah. like, this is a shitty movie. that's camp. No, no. This movie knows what it was doing. Um, we showed Demolition Man in 2013 or so. And Chris Garofalo made a great poster for it. And... I went to Taco Bell before the movie and bought a shit ton of tacos to give out to people coming in the door. 
Absolutely. Because, because you have to. <laughs> yeah. um, I, one of my things I was so disappointed from, you know, it, uh, was we got to be out near Comic-Con one year um, out in San Diego and we actually didn't have tickets to the actual event, but we were just in town. And one of the activations they had done was created the the Taco Bell. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and we just were not able to get in. And I was just so the fact that you took the time to go and do that. I mean, oh, do just, you want to hear the story? Because my wife hates it when I tell this story. I'll tell you. <laughs> Yes. Oh, oh, yeah. All right. So, so, uh, we go over to Taco Bell and, and she's driving and as we roll up, I'm like, go through the drive-thru. I want to go through the drive-thru because I've never ordered this many tacos before and I want to do it at the drive-thru. She's like, no, no, no. I don't want no part of this. Like, like she's not as nearly as extroverted as I am. And sometimes it's too much. So she's like, no, I'm going to park and you're going to go inside. And I'm like, go, you got to go through the drive-thru. <laughs> so we pull up to the window and it's, uh, our show starts at nine 45 doors are at nine. So it's probably like eight o'clock at night on a Friday. So we pull up and it's clearly like a 15 year old kid. He's like, hi, welcome to Taco Bell. Can I take your order? And, and she looks at me with daggers and I am so loving this. I am like, yes, could I have a 48 tacos, please? And there's just like silence beat, beat. And he's like, I'm sorry, could you say that again? I said, yes, I would like 48 tacos, please. <laughs> and he's like, uh, I'm like, uh, he's like 48. I said, yes, four, eight, four dozen tacos. <laughs> and he's like, could you hold on? I'm like, yep. And then like a couple seconds go by and clearly the manager comes on right. and she's like, hi, sir. Can I take your order? I said, yes. Could I please have four dozen tacos? And now my wife's so mad that this is happening. <laughs> And I'm just making it better. So uh, she's like, Do you, are you sure that you would like 48 tacos? And I can see somebody peeking out the window at the, at the drive-thru ahead of me. To see like, oh, is this somebody standing there? Is this somebody just trying to like drive off? And, and I'm like, yes, I really would like 48 tacos. And she's like, hard shell? I'm like, yes, hard shell. She's like, would you like, um, would you like sauces? I'm like, yeah, could you throw in like a smattering? And I'm definitely going to need napkins. So now we pull up to the window and every employee is at the window to see who the hell would order 48 tacos. When they see it's clearly adults and we're clearly, unless people behind us, we can't run away. The, the manager goes away and everybody starts to disperse to make our order. And the kid that took the initial order comes back over. <laughs> and he, he's like, oh, he, he rings me out and he's like, I just got to ask, why, why do you want 48 tacos? <laughs> And I said, well, have you ever seen the Sylvester Stallone action film, Demolition Man? He's like, no. I said, well, Taco Bell plays a, a, an important part of the film. And we're showing Demolition Man at the Colonial Theater a mile away in downtown tonight. He's like, it really it really does? My job plays an important part in Demolition Man? I said, oh, kid, if you haven't seen it, I don't know what time you get off, but you should come over um, or at least go home and watch it. And he's <laughs> like, okay, I totally will. And he's like beaming as he gives me my tacos. And we pull through and my wife is like, I hope you're proud of yourself. And I was like, yeah, I'm proud of myself. I 100% am because three years later, I bumped into that kid downtown at Phoenixville and he was like, Demolition Man guy. And I went, what? Excuse me? And he said, he, he started to tell me the story and I went, were you the kid I ordered the tacos from? And he went, that was me. I watched Demolition Man. It's now my favorite movie. <laughs> this, oh my God. Bravo. You should be and very the proud. The postscript is crazy. This year, this year, 23, this year we showed a double feature of Death Game and the remake with Keanu Reeves, um, uh, Knock Knock. 
Oh yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. They're basically the same movie, kind of. Right. And I actually appreciate the Keanu Reeves movie, but the end of the movie has him buried up to his neck in the ground, and he goes on this crazy tirade about cold about pizza and comparing <laughs> it to sex, free sex. <laughs> um, and it's a wildly unhinged moment. So um, we showed this double feature, and it really had a small attendance. It was like twenty people, but it was like people I knew. And and one of the guys, Joe Keery, he ordered pizza for the audience during the intermission. <laughs> Because he remembered we did the Demolition Man Taco Bell thing, and he wanted to give it to the audience. So we all came out. We're standing. There's like 20 of us standing there eating pizza. And um, and this guy comes up, who I don't recognize, and he says, um, this reminds me of that time you did the tacos, the free tacos. I went, wait, what? You were at the Demolition Man show? He said, I'd never seen it. And my friend drugged me to it. And you handed me a taco when I walked in. And I had no idea why. And my friend was like, trust me, you're going to love this. <laughs> and and he, So it was just this weird thing where I didn't see this guy for almost a decade. And in between movies where someone bought food based on it being in the movie for the for free for the audience, it was just like this wild, like, how does that happen? That's just bringing, I mean, that experience, that it's just, I so mean, one, I'm, I'm glad this, you didn't give out the seashells. Right. <laughs> <laughs> all, all of this to say, um, yes, of course, if you can make a movie, like just a tiny bit of an experience, mm -hmm. people will never forget it. Wow. <laughs> I'm really disappointed I wasn't at that show. <laughs> Who's upset when someone hands you a free taco? Right? I know, right? I'm having a good night. I have like um I have a, a wall of Polaroids upstairs because uh, you can get magnetic frames for them where they can just keep building this attachment. It just gets bigger and bigger. And anyway, I have a Polaroid from that night, from Demolition Man night. And in the Polaroid is Chris Garofalo and my wife Liz and um, Chris Garofalo's girlfriend, Melissa, and our friend, Joel Rickenbach, who you might have remembered from shows back then. He was one of our hosts, and he passed away suddenly and tragically in 2015, um, completely unexpectedly out of the blue. And it, it sort of rocked all of us real bad because he was 39. Um, but he's in that photo. And so uh, every time I see that photo, like everybody's sort of campily, there's these Chris's posters and like tacos are on the table in front of them. And it's like... Man, only only forty people came that night, but it didn't matter. Like we all had the best time. I, I think that's the. I mean, you know, not to start sounding like Nicole Kidman, but it's like that's the magic of of cinema. Like that's what people, you know, do miss. Like it's disconnective aspect, and and it, what the nostalgia. You know, when we talk about nostalgic, it's a word that gets thrown around a lot, but it's really trite true because it you just you don't the shared memories and experiences that we have with that with people and you know the connecting with film of you know of seeing it it's just it there's something really magical about it you're you're a hundred percent right you're nailing it because what what human beings are storytellers right movies are our campfire stories passing history and knowledge and important information Movies are the modern version of that. Video games might be a slightly more modern version, but you know they're they're younger. They're it's a more nascent art form. But we are storytellers, and movies are one of our primary story mechanics. They're a language. They're multiple languages among themselves. So um, you're 100 right. I was um, these things can transport you away. I saw Jurassic Park at 11, and and it's one of the memories. Um, I, I remember being so blown away. I can close my eyes right now and see where I am sitting in the theater watching dinosaurs that look so impossibly real 
on screen in front of me and thinking, like, is this a possibility in my lifetime? DNA science is brand new and they were talking about it just then. Like, it kind of is a possibility now. And an 11-year-old kid watching that movie. And so I'm I'm in the lobby, flash forward 30 years, I'm in the lobby um, dressed as the mayor from Jaws selling posters for Jaws. And we've got Brett Miller, who's a college student and an incredible impresario on the pipe organ. And he's doing a pre-show medley of John Williams scores before Jaws. And <laughs> the 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 swell from Jurassic Park comes up and I literally cut someone who was speaking to me to, to give me money off to run into the theater and gasp. I almost hyperventilated from like the emotions that had overcome me remembering being in Jurassic Park. Um, and you can't, you don't get that sitting in front of your television. You just don't. No, because there's something about that of like just that feeling of like when the sound completely fills you. And you're right, that you know, the da na 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 like don't, you don't hear it, it. Oh. and your your whole body's like oh. oh magic, wonder, childhood, the magic of cinema. Like you all of a sudden <laughs> are somewhere totally different. It's like a whole body reaction and experience. Oh, it's 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 the best. It's um there are other great things. There are lots of great things, but cinema is, it's not pretentious. Cinema is magic. It's a time portal, right? You're watching, we go to watch an old movie. You're watching everyone who made this film is dead. Everyone who made this film is dead, but they're still able to speak to us and convey ideas and nuance and messaging. And if we, this is the reason I deep, I delve so deep into movies. If we can understand the context, not just of the people making the film and what they wanted, but the context of the time surrounding the movie, we can understand people who are dead, but can still speak to us. It's incredible. I, I honestly, I, I feel like we could talk to you for hours about this. <laughs> like your love for this is intoxicating. Like it's, and I think it's such like a special experience to get to talk to someone who is so passionate about something, you know, like this is, you know, we, so we always start our show to people who fell in love at a movie theater and never quite left because there is something that just draws us back to this place. This has been like so incredible to get to hear your perspective on it and hear you speak so beautifully about everything that makes film the best. It, it really is. I mean, it's, it's, it's folks like yourselves coming to the shows, telling your friends about the shows and, and just enjoying it. Um, Jaws is a great one, right? Every single person in the audience knows when the shark comes out of the water and yet they all still scream. Uh -huh. They want to scream. It's <laughs> yeah. great. It's still terrifying. I don't care. It who's still <laughs> it's still, it, it, you're, you're right. It's, um, it's wonderful. The, um, gosh, yeah, I'm sorry. I, I can talk about movies just forever. <laughs> well, that's why we wanted you on. <laughs> I, I do have a question that I, I, it's always, uh, she hates when I ask this question. Mm, okay. <laughs> this is your Taco Bell order question. Yeah. <laughs> Crunchwrap Supreme or bust. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but you know, we talked a little earlier about you know this, and it's I always jokingly at the end of our episodes. So normally our shows are you know we do a one film, we kind of do a deep dive on it, and and then at the end we we have this conversation of you know does this movie need a sequel, a prequel, should it be remade? If it's remade, who's going to be in it? Type of question. So my question kind of here to you is because you know inherently most people don't like sequels you know and don't like remakes don't like prequels but is there a film out there that you wish has a prequel or a sequel like 
And a second question to that is, is there a film that you would love to see remade? So um, remakes are always interesting because there's a lot of movies that had great ideas, but then didn't execute well on them. Right. So those I feel like they're, they're the, are the ones that are prime for a remake. Give me a remake of just something that that sort of stumbled out the gate, but could really be good. Um, uh, uh, there's like there's a lot of movies in that category. But and that's why I'm usually just like whatever about remakes. I'll check them out, uh, except the Fog remake. That should be they should be ashamed of themselves. And that's <laughs> it's very rare that I would say that. Um <laughs> <laughs> but mine um, was the day the earth stood still uh <laughs> yeah that one was really like tone deaf right yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um and and this is you, you might not expect this to come from me but we are in a perfect time for a direct sequel to the original blob because Ooh. they drop it in the arctic and the arctic is actually melting Right. Perfect time for an actual blob sequel, like a legacy sequel uh, directly from the first movie. That's a, that's a, oh, someone make that genius idea. Someone make that. I want to see that. (laughs) Right. Right. Um, uh, It's, it's wild that it hasn't been. uh, I know there was the Rob Zombie rumored remake, but like his concept was so, it was basically almost zombies. Like it wasn't really a blob. Mm. Um, Just don't make a blob movie, make something else. I don't know if you were in the audience when I introduced the um, 58 blob for the yes, evening sure. show. Were you? Okay. So yeah. you were there when that guy was really adamant that the blob, uh, son of blob was a good movie. Yes. While I was on stage <laughs> and I was being very nice to him. <laughs> you were very generous. <laughs> but, which again, listen, if he loves that movie, more power to him. But there are three blob movies and two of them are excellent. <laughs> right. <laughs> So you said earlier about the 88 blob, that was your first, you know, that you saw that one prior. Oh, I saw that way too young. Like I'm uh, with you. The, I'm with the, you. <laughs> the, um, the, the sink scene and um, um, the sink scene and the phone booth scene specifically. I remember seeing being like, like maybe the year it came out, like maybe seven or eight. Because I had a lot of older, a big Italian family, a lot of older cousins who were like, let's make him watch this. Um, (laughs) So um, I remember trying to get up doing the dishes because I was terrified of touching the sink, you know, Uh, in the same way that Creepshow 2's The Raft made an entire generation of kids decide pools Uh or no swimming at all. Yes, completely. (laughs) You know, the scene that always stuck with me in 88, that it just, it was one of those quick moments, but it just, is when and I apologize I can't think of the the cop who was on ER and in RoboCop um and he gets split in two um <laughs> right and him wow. getting folded up it's just one of those moments like you talk about watching a film too young as a kid appreciated and loving it but there's those couple of moments that just stick with you and to this day that scene um just... <laughs> the um that when I was seven, when I was seven or eight, I, I was, I have ADHD, if you couldn't tell. Um, and uh, it wasn't a thing in the eighties. You're my, you guys are roughly my age probably. So that wasn't a thing. You were just a bad kid who couldn't sit still. Um, and, and I went to Catholic school and, and, and the nuns could still hit you until I was in sixth grade. So they did. Um, but I was, uh, it was Easter morning and I was at the breakfast table and I was too much for my mom. And she was like, go in the living room and watch TV until we go to church. So I'm like dressed up for church and I flip on, we just had gotten cable because this is a much longer story, but my dad had to watch Flyers hockey and Comcast built their empire on cheating the system. So you had to have cable 
It's, it's a whole long thing. It's a boondoggle. But um, we had cable so he could watch the flyers. Um, so I had movie channels when I shouldn't have had movie channels. And I'm flipping through. And what I came across was um, Nightmare on Elm Street Five, whichever one's the the disgustingly anti-abortion one, where the five. Baby. Yep, yep, that's five. <laughs> okay, I, um, so I come into it in the sequence where the dude's on the motorcycle and Freddie's like wiring up through his body uh. at seven or eight, and then the sequence right after that is the one where she's the posh chick in the high chair and they're feeding Freddie's feeding her her own guts. <laughs> now I had never seen anything like that and i was already yelled at and then i had to go sit in church in mass silently just replaying that in my head for the entirety of it and i turned out just fine turns out yeah and you're like it's easter mass this is pretty gory and now i've got this playing in my head You know, it, it is those like core experiences with like early horror in this way that can be like so foundational. I I a hundred percent want to see your your sequel, your direct sequel to the Blob. I think that would be an incredible thing. And then hey, another film to show at Blobfest, right? Like exactly right. <laughs> another film so we can put off showing the uh, son of Blob as long as possible. <laughs> <laughs> but at least when you do, you know there's one person that's going to be very excited. <laughs> Listen, people are passionate about every single movie's got someone that loves it. Yes. every movie yeah. <laughs> yes entirely so um thank you so much for this this has been such a joyful conversation um we wanted to ask you before you go is there so our episode is going to come out i think october 17th um do you have anything that you want to promote that's coming up at the colonial theater that you would like people to know about yeah, so the second half of October is at all of October. The colonial is jam packed. Yeah. Uh, so um, we we're going to have um, re showings of a locally produced horror film called Hayride to Hell that we showed last year at the theater. We had the premiere with Kane Hodder and um, Bill Mosley at. They're in the movie, so it's a lo- it's locally shot, locally produced movie about a haunted hayride, and it's, it's a slasher movie. Um, so we, we're going to have multiple screenings of it throughout the back half of the month. We've got our annual screening of Halloween, nineteen seventy eight. It's a film print that's a friend of ours's film print that he just loans us every year to show. Um, um, oh my gosh, there's we're showing House Sue at the end of the month, the Japanese house from yeah. 1977, um, which is watch the trailer if you've never seen it. It's so wild, you'll <laughs> love it. Um, I mean, but the whole back half of the month is stacked. We have Victoria Price coming back, she's going to host a screening of The Fly, and we'll do a QA with her. Um, and if you haven't met her, she, um, she's repu- re, uh, uh, made uh, republishing, rep- did reprints of her father's cookbooks. Yes. So Vincent Price has multiple cookbooks and he had even had a tel- television cooking show in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will tell you, I bought one of the books at the show last year and it changed my life. It literally, I'm an Italian. So like, I can just like go grab a couple things and throw them together and it's food and it works. But like, Vincent Price's cooking books changed my life in a way I can't even, we don't have time to go into. Well, it's like, so, fight. so I had the the fortunate um, opportunity. Um, I am part of the cinema committee at Frank Banco Ale House Cinemas. And, oh, yeah, uh, I've been there. Oh, awesome. Uh, so I co-curate the first Saturday Horror Series, and mm-hmm. we had Victoria Price up, and I similarly had no idea that this was a dimension of of Vincent Price and and getting to talk to her about just like the loveliest human being ever and and getting to like see this clip I'm like this is such a trippy experience we have this like gorgeous photo we have ha- of him hanging in like our living room I'm like this guy like did he do everything he's also he, he was a renaissance man right he was, um her, did you read her the her biography of him 
the book. No, I have it, and it's been on my shelf to read. Yeah. Um, I highly recommend reading it for this reason alone. So I we have this idea, right? Vincent Price was a Renaissance man. He did all these things, and he did them with class and panache. And he did all of that's true, but. Her book gives you this that gives you the the reality that he was a person and he had flaws and he he was he never felt like he was good enough. He was always worried he wasn't gonna make enough money. Um early on in the book, my mind was blown because he was at at in 1919 or 1920. No, I'm sorry. Um in the in the 1929, he he graduated high school and he did a tour, backpacking tour of Europe. And when he was in 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 Germany, he had the, it's it's, in, it's photocopied in the book. His his journal from that time was admirable admiration for that Hitler fellow really getting everything in order in Germany. And like this is before like this is before the thirties. Yeah. But like Vincent Price then grew to regret even thinking that and became an incredible liberal presence in Hollywood and America. Um, but but he started out as a person with admiration for Hitler, which which is important because it means that everybody can become a better person. No one springs from Zeus's head like Athena, fully formed. We mm -hmm. all are always trying to become better people. Here's somebody I've admired my entire life, and he's flawed. He's, he's got problems. That, that that just means that we all do, and we should all just accept those better. So I can't wait for you to read it. There's so much in there. I think something also too so powerful to take from that is is neither him or his daughter running from it like but instead you know explaining and showing the growth of him uh from it which I think is another thing that we can really take from that uh, so I, she was amazing. I mean, I got to just I was just in the audience, but like she's just amazing to to hear speak. Uh, so obviously something that I, I hope our audience takes advantage of. Uh, I mean, I'm going to have I have so many cooking questions for her when I when we do the Q&A. Like I'm, I'm going to bring my so I bought the I bought the cookbook that was the one from his television show, the uh, cooking price wise, mm -hmm. which is a great intro because it's um, they're simpler, simplified recipes. But then it was so great that I, I went on eBay and I bought. The, uh, the the very large tome that he and his wife Mary released through the Sears catalog. Um, and it's one of the original volumes, and it's massive. And it was basically Vincent Price and his wife traveled the world, going to all the fancy restaurants, and they would say, this is delicious. I must ask the chef for the recipe. And of course, the chef was like, yes, Vincent Price, I will give you the recipe. <laughs> so very famous restaurants from major cities like uh, Sardi's in New York and um, like, like restaurants that aren't there anymore but were world famous. And in movies, there are the recipes from all of them. Um, and I've made some really great, amazing stuff for, for dinner parties um, where people come over and I'm like, all right, our first, first course is uh, soup from Spain. It was this restaurant that Vincent Price went to in 1961. And um, oh, the, the Mexican garlic soup blew my mind because it was so simple. I couldn't <laughs> believe it. Um, so many amazing things. Um, I just can't even uh, so yes, I'm going to hit her with all these recipes. Like, <laughs> all right, your father's beignets. Like, really, what's the secret? Because I can't get to work. She's well, be like, you know, we're here to talk about horror movies. Like, <laughs> like uh, this is a cooking show. <laughs> that's, that's right. And, you know, I'm going to wheel out this stove and think, could we just demonstrate for <laughs> the audience? <laughs> We cannot again. Like I, I don't. I don't know if there's like enough ways in which we can say thank you for this one. Oh, it's it's really okay. I'm I'm delighted to have got the chance to to get to know you both better and chat about movies. I'm happy to join you again in the future. 
Uh, we would love to have is you. There, is there anywhere that our listeners can follow you? Um, yeah, sure. So I, you know, primarily definitely follow the Colonial Theater on the various channels. Actually, the email new like signing up for the email uh, blasts is actually the best way not to miss stuff because sometimes social media is a jerk. Um, I'm on Instagram. It's really the only one I kind of hang out on, unless you count the really cool, but no, like nobody's on it. Um, Polaroid, de- uh, um, not not Polaroid, the Hipstamatic app. Oh, okay. Hipstamatic now has a like a social media place where you can post yeah. all your cool photos, uh, but nobody's on that. So follow me on Instagram <laughs> where I also post those things, and uh, I am uh, at Cyanide Rush, spelled just like it sounds. Awesome. Excellent. Thank you so much again. And we really hope to have you back on the show. This was amazing. And honestly, I feel like we probably could have gone for longer. <laughs> we can. I'll go get coffee. You just like <laughs> We'll go get tacos. You get coffee. Right. <laughs> <laughs> if we talk long enough, it'll be Taco Thursday. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you guys so much. Thank you again so much to Chuck Francisco. If you're not currently following us on social media, please follow us at How Could You Podcast on Instagram, at How Could You Pod on X, at Facebook, at How Could You Podcast. Please stay tuned to all of the things we're going to be posting about Chuck and his work at the Colonial Theater. They have amazing things coming up. And until next time, beware of the blob and enjoy the Odyssey. (laughs) 